0: I didn't really love racing for a long time, like that's definitely the truth. my resting face looks angry even <laughs> though i'm not i'll take photos and i'm like i felt like i was smiling and i look at photos of myself and i'm like dude you look like you're ready to like rip a head off or something i'm like take it easy but the competitor in me is always analyzing like how would i beat it not yeah, like course. oh my gosh it was amazing it was like no i could beat it i'll figure out a way i'm just like tumbling my way down the track and parts are flying and like <laughs> big, big yard sales and uh and you're sore and you get back up and you're like, ah, oh, man, like I'm kind of limping around a little bit, but I'm, I'm good. And you go and win the race a few hours later. And then you have times where it's like, you tip over in the parking lot and dislocate a thumb. And it's like, how, what has happened? Like all you can control is the effort you put in and not the outcome. Uh, just cause you work hard doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't guarantee success, but it definitely increases the odds of it eventually. Uh,
1: Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and they have an even more generous offer than normal for you. For the month of November, you can get 20% off their convergence rims and wheel sets. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that I love We Are One wheels. For many years now, I've been using them and benefiting from their incredible robustness and great ride feel that strikes a perfect balance between compliance and stiffness to give you a ride that's direct but not harsh. With the Convergence rims, We Are One have taken everything up a level by implementing the latest engineering knowledge surrounding carbon fibre. For example, they've increased impact strength by 32% while still retaining that awesome We Are One ride feel. This year, we've been using the Convergence rims on our team downhill bikes, so that's six wheels all year that have had zero issues and remain tight and true all season long. Downtime listeners get an extra special twenty percent off for the month of November by using the code downtime november twenty twenty three at the checkout over on compositescom That's downtime with a capital D, November with a capital N, and the number twenty twenty three with no spaces over at WeROneComposites.com. Before we jump into this week's episode, just a few quick things that I'd like to mention. First, if you want to help support the podcast, then you can either set up a regular donation via my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast, or grab yourself some merch from downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop, or you can share the episodes with your friends or on your social media and spread the word. I really appreciate everybody who supports what I do. It really does make a huge difference, so thank you for that. To get a little more downtime in your life, you can join my newsletter where I'll provide you with a bit of behind-the-scenes info on the podcast, interesting bits and pieces from around the mountain bike world, some mini-reviews of products that I've been using and like, partner offers, and more. You can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Also, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting that button in your podcast app now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can either listen to today's episode right here or if you'd prefer to watch it you can now do that over on my YouTube channel which is youtube.com forward slash at downtime podcast. All right today I'm joined by Aaron Gwynn to catch up on what he's been up to, hear about his experience in the commentary booth, why he brought Windrock Bike Park, if he'll be racing next season and plenty more. There's some awesome insight in this episode and I really hope you enjoy listening. So without further ado here's Aaron Gwyn. Aaron Gwynn, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast, man. It's been a few years. Uh, how's life?
0: It's good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been uh, yeah crazy year. Lots going on, as usual. And uh crazy off-season. Got lots of projects and different things we're working on. But life is good, man. Been enjoying it, for sure. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, plenty to talk about. But before we talk about bikes, actually, I want to talk about commentary um your work on the last few races of the year has been super popular, judging by speaking to my mates and reading through the forums and looking at all the comments. So I just wanted to chat a bit about that to be fair. And like first off, how did that become a thing? Like how did you get involved with it?
0: Um, yeah, it kind of just fell together uh naturally because I was at the races helping uh helping the team out and on track, just watching lines and just kind of doing whatever I could to help them out once I got through my surgery um and got kind of rehabbed enough I just wanted to get back to the races with the boys so I was there anyways and um we were chatting with some of the tv crew and I had just mentioned like hey if you guys want to help doing any of this like I'm obviously busy during practice days um with the boys but on race days I'm just kind of chilling and they were like yeah we'd love to have you in the finished corral and kind of doing interviews and stuff like that And I was like, cool, whatever you need. And, uh, so yeah, I jumped in on a few of those and they went really well and everybody was stoked. And, um, so they invited me into the commentary box, which is kind of more my, uh, more my style. I, I enjoy doing that. And, uh, yeah, it went really well. So it was fun. It was, um, really last minute. Like I didn't have any directions or anything. I just sort of jumped in and talked about what I knew. So that was, uh, It was actually pretty easy for me because I'm very analytical in those things and I've been on the track, you know, those weekends all through practice and I know where everybody's at and I'm usually talking to a lot of the riders um, since I'm friends with a lot of those guys and so it was like, I'm just kind of observing and chatting about what I would be thinking about if I was watching a race and the things that would be going through my head. So yeah, it was fun, man. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I get the
1: impression that you watch a lot of sport. It felt like that like you've you've heard a lot of commentary in
0: your time, I think. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a big fan of a lot of sports. Motocross, supercross for sure specifically. I feel like I could jump in and commentate on those races <laughs> just as well because I'm <laughs> very in the loop on a lot that's going on and I'm like I love to watch and observe and especially when it comes to lines and, you know, why somebody's going fast here and not here and how people compare. So uh, it's always been something that I, I don't know, it just is always going in my brain. I can't shut it off. So (laughs) it's fun to uh, chat about it and watch the racing. And it's nice to do something on race day, except sit around and twiddle my thumbs waiting for my guys to come down the hill nervously (laughs) very true
1: what's it like in the booth and give us some insight like is it a big space like where are you what's happening
0: (laughs) uh it depends on the race some races um there'll be like a big shipping container and you got lots of room and tables and stuff in there it's usually just me and uh the other commentators and um so we kind of have our own little vibe going which has been fun and then uh but yeah at what was it last race in St. Anne it was like a quarter of a shipping container behind like a little curtain and so we're all like kind of like literally shoulder to shoulder all huddled up in there and it's hot (laughs) like commentating having a good old time but yeah it's fun it's pretty cool it's um it's interesting because like the first race I did it in uh Loonville it was the box was like right at the finish line so you could look out the windows in front of the the monitors that we're watching and you can see the finish and the crowds and watch the riders come down but like at uh West Virginia the the comms box was like I don't know, probably 500 feet away from the start gate in a parking lot. So like nowhere, it's not even at the bottom of the hill where the, the finish was. And same thing at St. Anne, the, the the box was like over by the cross-country finish, which is like pretty far from the downhill finish. So it's a little weird because you feel very separated from the event, even though you're you're watching it on the monitors in front of you and uh but yeah it was good it kept me in shape i was running back and forth between the <laughs> between the commentating and the finish line and then i'd come back and then the finish line and then <laughs> just doing laps awesome what are you seeing then are you, are you just seeing the
1: live like the live broadcast that we see do you get more data or anything else to like work from
0: no we're pretty much just watching the live broadcast um i know the other guys they have a little bit of um like data that they're looking at on some screens and they have printouts and stuff. But since they're, they're more into the TV side, like I just pop in and do commentating on the side for the races. So my job's pretty easy. I usually, um, after the first race, I think I did it the first one I did too. I'll, I'll kind of like write some notes down in my phone and make a list. Um, anything that I observe that I would, might forget from the weekend. And then I usually do a bit of research Um, on like just the overall point standings where everybody's at, where they're stacking up, you know, like where, how they did maybe at that track last year. And I'll I'll just kind of research it a little bit. And then just like, I have a little system I put on my notes on my phone. So once I'm watching finals or semis, I like scroll to a different section of my notes and then I kind of have my high points that like I want to chat about so I don't forget. So that's pretty much it, man. You just rock in, put a pair of headphones on and get after it. But Um, yeah, the commentating is, is not really a big deal. It's trickier in the finish line because you have like earpieces in and you're listening to like the producers in Paris sometimes talking, giving feedback. And then you have like the show host and then you have the other people you're talking with and like things are cutting in and out. Sometimes the audio is cutting in and out and moving around. So you just kind of got to like roll with it. And sometimes it's so loud in the finish after a after a race that you can't hear anything. <laughs> like the crowd is so crazy, which makes it cool. But yeah, it's fun, man. I, I like It, it kind of keeps you on your toes. It's like a challenge and you're watching the race and you get into it and uh yeah it's it's fun
1: were you nervous like it didn't it didn't feel like even on that first couple that you did it didn't feel like
0: you were nervous but i I mean i know (laughs) i would be (laughs) no no it's chill i mean i think um i've been doing this for a while right 15 years now like i've done a lot of interviews a lot of podcasts like this a lot of interviews in the finish corrals after races and a lot of that so it's definitely um I would say if there's any nerves, it's just trying to figure out how to like fit in and when to talk and when to not talk and how to add. And, and it's a tricky balance because, you know, you you want to give good background on the riders because it's interesting. But like especially in qualifying or in semis now, um, you know, the riders are only on screen for maybe a minute. So like you really got to like get on with it. Um, and it's a bit of a balance too because it's like you might have some details on a rider That are good details and you're like but you maybe don't want to give them away for semis when you don't have enough time to talk and you want to save it for finals but if the rider doesn't qualify for finals and then you don't share those details in semis you're like oh man I had a cool thing I wanted to say and I didn't get to say it so there's a little bit of that but no not not too many nerves I just didn't think about it like when we went to Ludenville I just purposely like was like okay I know my start time when I'm going to show up in the box and I'm just going to make my notes and I just put it out of my head and I'm like, just show up and talk about what you know. And I didn't try to overthink it. So it's funny because Cedric and the boys get hyped up. they will be like shadow boxing before they get in. And I feel pretty, uh, I'm pretty mellow. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
1: How about when you're commentating on your
0: teammates though? That must be an interesting situation. Yeah, that one, those are hard to commentate because I feel like, I obviously know more about them than any other riders on the track. Like I know exactly where they're at, what they're going through, if they're feeling good, if they're not feeling good, how the bike's working, all that stuff. Um, So I have more to talk about, but I usually don't want to talk at all because I just sit there and nervously (laughs) watch the screen and the splits to see where they're at. (laughs) So it's hard to – it's also hard to be unbiased, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like you got to –
1: yeah. Especially that run that Dakota was on in Ludenville, right? Like your first time in the booth, and that was a pretty all-in run by the looks of it. That must have been exciting
0: to watch, but also kind of nerve-wracking to, to work through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was a wild run. It's uh yeah, hard hard to watch. Like you just kind of want to close your eyes and wait till it's done. But <laughs> but no, it's good. It makes it fun because it's um, especially when they do good. You know, it's like it's just so cool to be able to talk about the success and talk about the hard work they're putting in. Cause I know everything behind the scenes that they're going through to try to get to that point and the ups and downs, especially with Dakota, pretty much everybody on our team has really had to like overcome some, you know, whether it's injuries or rough results or crashes the last few years. So when the boys do good, it's, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty good feeling. Like I really enjoy it. I think that actually surprised, not surprised me, but like Switzerland when I got hurt, um, once we got back from the hospital and I had my cast and everything, I went in the finish area and like watched the racing the next day with like a earpiece on and everything. And my wife was standing next to me and we we're watching the races. And I was like, man, I'm like, I I really like, I was like almost getting emotional. Like when they did good, I was like, I don't know. I, I, it was just cool to be a part of it on that side. Like, and I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would um usually watching races is kind of torturous for me if i can't race i don't usually watch any of the live broadcasts. i'll watch them back you know a week or two later to try to learn but I, I don't really like watching them live like if i'm not racing when i'm supposed to be racing it's uh it's usually tough but this year was definitely definitely a little different i enjoyed it yeah. with, just because of the team
1: yeah have you watched any of your commentary back like in the same way you would watch a race run to look at how you did
0: yeah, i watched a little bit of it back. Not usually like the full commentary, but like the highlight shows or like the top runs or whatever. It'll have me chatting on there. So um, I'll listen to it a little bit just to try to learn. Like after Ludenville, I listened to that one a little just to see like, all right, like where could I be better and where am I not and whatever. Um, but yeah, I just, like I said, I try not to overthink it. I just kind of rock up and have a good time and try to, you know, it's it's a cool sport and that the fans – are pretty core they know a lot of the backstories too but sometimes they don't and i feel like for our fan group and maybe i'm wrong but at least my assumption is like i think they enjoy watching the races when the commentators are are kind of like more hanging out and having a good time and and talking about interesting details than being this like very technical like rigid sort of vibe so i think you know you got to have a little bit of all of that um and i think by the last few races like the three of us were kind of finding our groove so It was, uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was definitely going well.
1: And personally, like, I really enjoyed it. And selfishly, I'd love to have you back in the booth next (laughs) season. But I'm kind of torn because I also want to see you back on the racetrack. Like, I feel like there's some unfinished business
0: there. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I I feel the same. And I've gotten uh, a lot of people saying the exact same thing. So (laughs) that's been cool. I appreciate everybody's feedback. It definitely was fun. And it was a encouraging to have some positivity going on while I was trying to rehab from this injury and it's just been taken forever. It's going well. It's just a long injury. Um but yeah it's um it, it was fun. I, I definitely enjoyed it maybe even more than I thought I would. I thought it would be fun, but I, I really like doing it. Um they actually called me a couple weeks ago and were already asking like, hey, you're probably racing next year, but if you're not and you're open to it, we would love to like figure out a deal to have you on full time. Um, cause this year, like I wasn't getting paid or anything. I just, I just did it cause it was fun and they asked if I would do it and I enjoyed it and it was, I, I just thought it was really fun and, um, it was cool to give a little extra love to some sponsors and just kind of be out there a little bit since I haven't been able to be on the track too. So it was good for them. Um, but yeah, next year I was chatting with them and I was like, well, you know, I don't want to be this guy, but I'm like, if you guys want me to go to every single world cup next year and sit in the box and commentate and not race. I'm like, if I'm going to be there at every race, I'm going to race. <laughs> I was like, I don't, you wouldn't want to know the amount of money you'd probably have to pay me to try to figure <laughs> that one out. Cause I'm like, that would, that would suck to do. But, um, so we'll see maybe when I'm done racing, but really the thing that's hard with racing for me, you know, as I've gotten older, is just the travel and the time in Europe and the time away from home. And it's not that I want to stop racing. It's just that I want to pursue other things that I've always wanted to do. And racing takes such a time commitment, um, in terms of training and travel and everything that goes into it. So I'm like, if I'm going to still go to all these races and be over there, like I for sure want to be on the track. So I was like, sorry guys, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Maybe I'll pop in for one or two, depending on what I get up to next year, but I don't think that I'll do it full time. Cause rather be riding (laughs) that's fair that's fair (laughs) but someday maybe
1: yeah let's um yeah let's look back a little bit last time we sat down and chatted you were still in california you made a big life change since then and you've moved from california over to tennessee just give us a bit of background on that what drove that move in the
0: first place um yeah so a lot of factors on the move we right after lauren and i got married in july 2020 like right in the middle of covid um, we took a road trip out to Montana. That's where she was born and raised and grew up kind of her whole life. And, uh, I have a good friend out there who, um, we went and visited and her family, a lot of her family still there. So we, we took a trip out there to visit. And as soon as we rolled into town, um, in Gallatin gateway, which is where our place is just outside of Bozeman, I was like, man, this is like, this is God's country. This is the best place I've ever been. And, uh, so we were there, we really enjoyed that week hanging out and going to lakes and you know, the riding and everything there, like at big skies, like 40 minutes from our house. And that's a really good place to train in the summer. Um, and we left in my CPA just with the taxes and stuff that you would save if you could like switch residency to Montana he was like, Hey, if you think you could actually be here six months of the year, like you would basically save enough money where you could probably pay the payment on your house here (laughs) or get close to it. And I was like, well, shoot, that would be fun. And I think at the time, um, I mean, California, like the house that I had built there, I thought that would be like my forever house, like raise a family there and, you know, never leave until I die probably. But (laughs) obviously life has always had different plans. And, um, So, but we were right in the middle of COVID as well. And California was like pretty nuts during COVID in my opinion with what was going on. And it was just hard to be there. Like it was just a lot of division, just a lot of craziness. And you'd go to Montana and it was just like normal life. Everybody was friendly, walking around. It was kind of just business as usual. Um, I also, like I grew up in a really small town in California. Like people think I'm from California, so I think they think like L.A. or San Diego, but I grew up in Morongo Valley, and you can Google it. It's a very small town in the middle of the desert. It's like a little horse town, and um, so I, I just like the more mellow vibe, being in the country, not having so many neighbors, and Montana was definitely that. So, um, Anyways, long story short, we ended up getting a house in Montana and, and having residency there for about a year, and the plan was to kind of do California during the winters for training and everything, and then Montana in the summer. Um, And kind of shoulder seasons. And so we did that for about a year, which is really fun. And then I think around that next year in the springtime, I think it was 21. um, We actually bought this house where I'm at now in Oliver Springs near Windrock. We came out here for the national um and just really love this place like love the mountain straight away at Windrock. rock the riding was so good and i was like man nico's been trying to get me to come out here forever <laughs> and i kept turning them down and i finally came out and i'm like yeah you're right this is like the best place for mountain biking in the u.s i felt like and so we were here uh got a lot of friends in this neighborhood where we live and this house you know we had sort of the, the inside hookup with one of the neighbors they were like hey i think that guy's gonna sell that house soon and uh And because I was like, maybe we'll get an Airbnb here or something so I can like rent it, but just pop in and stay whenever we want. And uh, housing prices here are are pretty cheap compared to a lot of other places in the country, especially California. And so we ended up buying this house just thinking we would probably come three or four times a year. And um, so around that time, like COVID was kind of still, even the the next year was kind of ramping up um or I wouldn't say ramping up but not really calming down in California as far as some of the laws and stuff not even laws the mandates and all that stuff and um we have been spending a lot of time in Montana and on the road and just kind of the more we were out of California when we went back to California and you like land in LAX and go to do the two-hour drive back to our house and just like the vibe was kind of changing around where we lived because I think during COVID, a lot of people started working from home and they moved out of the cities and kind of moved to where we were at in Temecula, which was a city, but it wasn't a massive city. And it, everything was just getting more and more crowded and people just seemed way angrier than they did here in Tennessee or Montana. And we just were like, man, like my wife and I were like, kind of just enjoyed not being there. And so we, uh, we had a friend group and a big friend group in California too, that I don't know if we would have moved because I I think for us, like home is where all the people you love is at, you know, I feel like we could kind of live everywhere, anywhere. If, you know, we had a lot of our friends and family there and kind of a lot of our close friends and family were collectively kind of all in the same place we were. And uh, a lot of them are kind of from the South uh, originally anyways. And my parents are, you know, Florida and Ohio. And a lot of my friends are kind of from Georgia and those areas. And, and so they were kind of all like, man, I think we're kind of over California and we were like, yeah, we kind of are too. Like, I mean, I love it. It's still home for me in a lot of ways. And if I went back, I'd probably move back to the desert where I grew up, but it just felt lighter out here and happier. And it was definitely more affordable as well, which was good. And, um, so we, we kind of all just decided like, well, let's, let's move. And so I would said like, Hey, we, we really like Tennessee for year round riding and weather. Like it's definitely better than, Montana. Montana's rough in the winter times if you're trying to ride a mountain bike. And uh, so, yeah, we ended up kind of coming out here, looking around, and we all kind of eventually settled sort of around Nashville. So we have uh, our main house now is actually near Nashville. Then we have this house um, here in Windrock or near Windrock and then our place in Montana still. So now we kind of do Montana in the summers and Tennessee the rest of the year nice man an
1: awesome balance and yeah you're about 10 minutes drive from winrock where you are which is pretty handy if you're a downhill rider (laughs) Uh, we (laughs) ride in a lot more downhill then. as a result coming into like the 20
0: i guess it would have been coming into the 2022 season um yes and no i think i usually rode a lot of downhill in california um john and i would just like lap the four or five main tracks within a few hour radius of our houses in socal um, so when I came here, I just feel like I can get a lot more riding in a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so like I can come stay at our place here for three days and do like 15 laps a day and like <laughs> just lap it out and then go home and train for a week and a half or so and then come back and have like, it's like more focused riding instead of just like one day here and one day here and one day here and just sitting in a lot of traffic and stuff. And, and I really love it here cause I can go and ride mountain opens at 10 I can ride till one and with the shuttle truck turnarounds like you can literally do like 12 runs in a couple of hours and then Amazing. be home for lunch and go to the gym and still have time to hang out whereas in California it was like a couple hours in traffic in the morning and you do your shuttle runs and then a couple hours in traffic and it's like usually I wouldn't get home till four or five o'clock in the evening and then pretty much just dinner and go to bed so I felt like it was just a lot easier to to be efficient with the training and the time here for sure yeah. And you've been doing a lot of bike
1: development as well in the last couple of years. I guess that helps being close to somewhere like Windrock, right? Repeatable tracks, you know, super well that are easy to reach and just go and smash laps and try things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's good. We got a good little base and a good garage here at the house. So usually like the engineers and my mechanic, John, and everybody just would fly out here. And it's super convenient because Dakota lives like 10 minutes down the road from here, maybe not even five minutes. Um, so the two of us could just do our testing here and kind of be able to test together, which was really fun too. usually, um, John and I are just solo missioning out in the Hills. So (laughs) it was, uh, yeah, definitely. It's been a good setup. Yeah. Tell us a bit
1: about that development process then. Did you start off with a bit of benchmarking to kind of see where things were at and see what other people were doing?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we, once I kind of, we are getting to a point with that, um, n29 that vpp like intense bike um three years ago where nico and i were both kind of scratching our heads like hmm, all right do we really want to try to like make this bike good which you know we could obviously santa cruz has a bike that's working good but that platform is interesting depending on your weight and style of rider and whatever where it just didn't feel like it it sort of suited us Um, and so we're kind of a point where we were, we wanted to test some other things. And, and Jeff was open to the idea of us potentially changing the suspension platform for the race bike, which was really cool is like, Hey, if we're going to make a race bike and try to make, you know, be the best in the world at something, we should try to make whatever bike is the best and not kind of put ourselves into a box of certain suspension designs just for, you know, marketing purposes or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I actually was going to go buy some bikes and then intense jumped on board and decided to help out, which was cool. So we bought like three or four of the main competitors bikes and, um, did a bunch of testing, like just wanted to see, like, obviously a lot of those brands, their race bikes are different than their production bikes. Um, but I just kind of wanted to see different suspension platforms and, you know, the characteristics of each one and felt like, okay, I I like this about this bike, but I don't like this about this bike. And what if we could combine like these two characteristics and blah, blah, blah. So we kind of went through that process. Um, around the same time we hired Devin Sullivan, who is our main engineer over there. And Devin was awesome. Like, I felt like he really was, uh, you know that last missing piece we needed to really put this race bike together, and so he helped uh, Dakota and I kind of you know get all that feedback and then kind of make a game plan. And and all along Jeff sort of had this idea even years ago of this kind of uh, six bar type bike like we have now as being like the bike where we could kind of accomplish everything we wanted at the same time. And so the more feedback we got from riding other bikes and just talking about what we wanted, it was like okay it might be time to finally get going on this project. And so we kind of took the la- the long route and <laughs> we did the bike we had last year first because it was pretty easy to get done. Um, you know, basically we designed, built, and then got on the racetrack in like four months with that bike, which we yeah. definitely couldn't have done with the bike we're on now. It's a lot more complicated. There's more patents and stuff you got to work around. So, um, yeah, but it was good. I mean, it was just a big learning process through the whole deal. I felt like I learned a lot through it. Um, it was really cool of Intense to be so flexible and let us, you know, spend the money we did and try everything we did to kind of get to the point to having basically the bike that we, we finally like really wanted. So it, it sucked not getting to race it this year, but (laughs) thankfully the boys held it down and did good. And, uh, yeah, the, the bike's really good. That new one.
1: Nice. Yeah. You were on the, like the four bar high pivot for 2022, how it sounds like there wasn't a huge amount of time development time to get that bike ready like how did it feel coming into that 2022 season did you feel
0: like you had a bike that was competitive yeah it was um it it took a couple of races there was a couple i can't remember something happened with the first few we got um we broke a couple which we usually don't do um there's a few issues with the link on that thing because it was so big And then, um, I can't, something happened in the process when they got welded. The geo was just a little bit off. So like what we raced, I think at Lords and maybe the next round, um, we were having a few issues with that we couldn't figure out. And then once we did, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a, it was like a kinematic thing that was slightly off. And once we figured that out and got the more updated versions, like really, you know, the last six of eight races or whatever last year, that bike was actually really good. Like it smashed. It was, it was a tank. It was super heavy. (laughs) I think my race bike was like pushing 42, 43 pounds, which is probably the heaviest bike I've ever had. Um, so (laughs) at some tracks like Leo gang and, you know, anywhere where it was flat and pedally or you needed speed, that thing was a bit of a dog, but that Sol, when you could actually point it down the hill and smash over stuff, like that thing just got better, the gnarlier the track. So um, that bike was was really good. It was super stable. But I think at the end of the year, you know, it was just meant to be a placeholder for what we were working on. We were able to really fine tune things a bit more with this like six bar dev- design. Um, take some weight out of the bike and get a bike that we felt like could perform in the rough but also carry speed and pump and corner and kind of do the rest of that as well so yeah but yeah both bikes have, have been good but this new one is sort of a, a much more well-rounded <laughs> package yeah. yeah more complex there right there's a lot more
1: tunability but that means there's a lot more to puzzle over i suppose yeah yeah for sure keeps you keeps you busy let's talk about that 2022 season a little bit it wasn't the easiest of seasons perhaps it started out with a pretty heavy crash in lords right
0: yeah yeah it was um that was a rough one like i mean we did a lot of bike changes we didn't get on that bike until a few weeks before lords which wasn't ideal but i kind of knew like all right just be patient like you're gonna you'll get things dialed in and through the second half of the season like hopefully we'll be you know fighting for wins again and the whole plan last year was just to have a building year like make it through healthy just like get time on the bike get to the tracks kind of get the groove back and really build for this year was the year that I was hoping to really be fighting for that championship and wins every weekend so um yeah that they crashed last year at lords in practice that was a bummer like I was like dude I can't believe this like just i think i clipped my pedal on a course pole and then just went flying and i was like how is this happening again and i kind of banged my hand up but thankfully it was just sore through the weekend a little hard to hang on but it was fine um and then i think i got 11th at switzerland i don't know if that was the next race or or no we went to fort william and then i flatted in qualifying and didn't qualify for the first time in my career so the season was really starting off awesome. and uh, <laughs> But then I think I got like 11th at Switzerland, and then I just slowly got the consistency back. But I was riding good. I felt good on the bike. Once we made those last couple of tweaks, um, I felt like it was just a matter of time until things started going well. And by the end of the year at Valdez Sol, I felt like I was really in a position where I, I probably could have won that race if a few things would have went a little different. So, um, yeah, it was kind of mission accomplished. Good building year, uh, minus that crash at Lord's. And a crash at Val de at the last race of the year with uh, a front flat tire, which I probably shouldn't have tried to ride down the track with. Um, I didn't even like tip over all year. I didn't have any crashes really. So it was just a very consistent, like smooth season. So yeah, it was good.
1: Yeah, there was a couple of runs, a couple of races there, I think, where you definitely felt like you could have won. I think Val was the first. You ended up in fourth, but you you saved a few pretty big moments on that run as well. Right? Like it looked on the limit of points.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one was good. Yeah, I had that one big moment. That I thought we were we were headed out into <laughs> the bushes and uh thankfully saved it. That track is just hard because it was so dry and there's so many kind of loose rocks and marbles that it's uh there's a element of risk that you kinda can't control when you're going that fast, especially when the conditions are like that. I think I just hit a little rock with my front wheel and kind of got ejected, but thankfully held on to it, lost a little time and uh kind of brought it back together. But it just felt good to be rotting. The limit again and feeling comfortable in practice and i didn't feel like the bike was doing anything weird or surprising me like um the rest of our bike like the tires the brakes the drivetrain all the other little pieces that we had been working on dialing in were kind of all starting to come together as well so yeah it felt like we just had a good good package like i said the bike was still uh slow on certain sections of tracks but if it was a fast track that you know was had good gradient that bike was pretty good
1: yeah do you what do you think was happening then? Was it purely that you were getting to where you wanted to be with the bike? Was it like physically you were getting your body back to where you'd want it to be? Is it your mind? Like it feels like there's various elements to this that maybe I don't know, maybe they all go hand in hand, but
0: Yeah, for sure. I'd say it was a it was a combination of all of them. Um and I'd say primarily it was the bike and equipment. Like I really just hadn't been comfortable for a couple of years. And and it was hard because we were making so many changes and the wheel sizes were changing constantly during that time and the frames and, and then COVID happened. So we didn't get to go race and test it. So we had to wait till later in the year. And then I had a couple injuries in there. So I just, I didn't have really any time on the bike. And then when I did have time on the bike, we were always changing big things. And so it just never like, we didn't have the time we needed to like put in the work, we needed to get there. You know, it probably should have taken a year, but because of all those things, it sort of took three years. So (laughs) it just pushed it back a bit. Yeah, definitely, man. And end
1: of that season, fourth place at ValdeSoul and you stood on the podium alongside Dakota as your teammate there. I think that was the first time that since you took out kind of ownership of the team that you'd stood alongside a teammate, like how, how did that
0: feel? It was cool. Yeah, he, he barely beat me, but I was happy for him. Uh, it would have been nice if we could have went 1-2. I think we definitely had it in us that weekend. It just didn't quite come together. Um, but, man, it was it was amazing feeling, like such a fun way to end the year um, for us to both be on the podium. And we were the top team of the day, which was cool. And, um, yeah, like I said, just from all the struggles from the last few years for, for both myself and a little bit of Dakota as well, um it was just a good day for us and for the team and it was just it was a lot of fun it was it was a really cool special moment for sure i'll i'll remember probably yeah. forever <laughs> nice how have you found it being a team owner because it's quite quite unique to be a rider and a team owner. there's a few more now but not many of you yeah it's been fun man i i really enjoy it thankfully um For me, I have such a good team and a good group of people that they make it pretty easy on me. Like I got to, you know, I negotiate all of our contracts and get everything sort of set up and that's a a ton of work. But once all that's done, you know, I just kind of hand it off to John and Todd and the other mechanics on the team. And between Todd and Kathy, they handle all the logistics and planning and John takes care of all the parts ordering and making sure everything's where it needs to be. And, John Stout over in the UK like stocks the trailers and gets everything you know ready and and to the races and our other mechanics are awesome so it's like it's uh I, I don't really have to think about it that much like the team just runs and I show up at the airport and they pick us up like normal and <laughs> we do our thing so it's it's good but I mean it's I guess it's tricky in that you know you it's your program. And so you do, you know, people look to you more so for advice, whether it's the riders and mechanics or, you know, the team managers, like everything ultimately kind of comes down to my decisions. And, and so you want to set those guys up for success and care for those guys. Um, and you, and you have the ability to, it's not like, Oh, I'd like to do this, but that's not my part to play. It's like, no, everything's kind of your <laughs> part to play. So, um, yeah, that, that is, uh, it takes more work for sure, but it's the part that I really enjoy actually. Like I like, I love working with the riders and kind of creating a good vibe and atmosphere. And, and, you know, even through the tough days, I feel like I can obviously relate to those because I've been through a lot of them myself. So I feel like I'm in a unique position to, to chat with riders and offer advice, you know, whether things are going good or bad and um, I also have that bit of business sense about me too. So whether it's, you know, whatever they're going through, I feel like I, I usually can relate to them pretty good. So, um, yeah, it's a bit more work, but it's kind of, you know, the type of work that I enjoy. Yeah.
1: What went into the selection of those riders then? Cause it's, uh, it's, it's a, a wide variety of characters and people from all different parts of the world, I
0: guess. Like <laughs> what made you choose those, those three riders? Yeah, so um, Seth has been on Intense uh, since I think pretty much the beginning when we started the program. He was on Intense way before I even came to the program. So he was a junior. I think he'd won a World Cup, and we had him on the program. Intense wanted to keep him on the program. Um, As soon as I met him, I love the kid. He's probably the happiest kid you'll (laughs) ever meet in your whole life. Uh, Just an awesome vibe. His mechanic, Mike, is awesome as well. So just really good dude. So we had them on the program um and just kind of been giving him years to mature you know he's had ups and downs but i think he's got so much skill on a bike and his attitude is so good that it's just you know you got to kind of go through that process i'm definitely a team manager that i i hire heavily on just people i like and people i like to be around and that i feel like are truly like good ambassadors of the brands and stuff um and i would say i don't I, obviously we look at results but we are we're definitely not a cutthroat team where if you have a bad year, we're going to kick you out the door. Like we, I definitely, you know, like to stick with my guys and, and, you know, as long as we possibly can. And so, yeah, Seth has, has been there and he's, he's been improving every year and doing well. And, um, he had some injuries this year, but he was basically made finals at every downhill race that he did, even having, I think one or two weeks on the bike each time and just coming straight back and getting into the top 30. So that was, that was really impressive out of him. Um, Joe, we had been chatting about, I basically made a list after uh, a couple years ago of like riders that I thought could be kind of top 15 guys, um, that would sort of fit this slot between myself and Seth and, and be able to, you know, kind of, uh, ride alongside of me and also help Seth and just be a good mix of the team. Like I said, I think the team vibe and the personalities going together is like key for me um and joe's like the nicest same thing like i say this about our guys because it's true but like joe's like the nicest dude and um he works super hard like like sometimes too hard you know we've tried to get him to chill out a little bit like hey dude you're you're doing enough just trust your skills and go ride your bike um so joe's been awesome and uh, his mechanic john stout he's he's a legend like they're they're amazing people so um yeah, he just fit the team really good and somebody we saw a lot of potential in and we thought we could we could help get to that next level. He's also had some big injuries along the way but um had some good results this year which was good. And then Dakota actually came through like super last minute. We were pretty much wrapped up with our team being me, Joe and Seth and uh we were getting pretty close to finalizing all of our contracts and and I'd always kind of wanted to have Dakota on my team. It just our contract years never like lined up to where it worked out um and since I'd been here in Tennessee rotting with him a bit and being around him and and just kind of I felt like we could potentially offer some things that would be helpful to him um, as a professional and I felt like um you know Dakota has a unique personality as well and I, I felt like I could I could um give him an environment that he would enjoy racing and and kind of be able to be successful there and, um, so it kind of popped up last minute where, you know, I think YT dropped their team again last minute and kind of left him without a ride super last minute. And he was kind of like, man, I don't know. Like he was, I think even considering racing enduro or something, cause he didn't have a lot of, of options on the table from what I remember. And I was like, dude, if he's available, like we have to go, like I've always wanted him on the program. I just, I had assumed that he was locked in with YT and I think he did too. And, um, so I, I called all the sponsors and I'm like, Hey, we gotta, like, we have to find a way, like, we need more funding to try to get him on the program. So I asked Dakota, like, you know, how much would it take? And, uh, you know, what would you need? And kind of got some numbers and figured out that we could do it logistically. And, you know, we'd have to rent some more cars and do some more stuff, but we can make it happen. Um, and I got a little more, more out of the sponsors, uh, funding wise. And then I just made the rest of it up with my own salary. Cause I just was like, ah, it's going to be great for the team. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a last minute addition, but it was really good. And, uh, I've really enjoyed riding and, and hanging out with him and kind of being alongside of him the, the last few years, he's got, um, a ton of skill on a bike and as good as he's done, I think the results still don't show, you know, what he's capable of and, kind of what I think he could have done the last few years if things would have been, you know, if he would have had a little better luck or, you know, would have kept it off the ground a little bit more. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it was, yeah, very unique team, but um, lots of personalities from different places. I I try to pick areas of the market too, where I felt like for Intense is important to them as well and, and our sponsors and kind of just blend all those things together. So um yeah man we've had such a good crew the last few years it's been awesome yeah it's a good bunch and with with seth i guess kind of
1: building into elite and joe suffering from injuries it's fallen to dakota to be the person that like pushes you i guess when you've both been healthy and on track like do you relish that do you enjoy that like someone being on your tail
0: and challenging
1: each other like that
0: yeah, for sure. I think as I've gotten older, I've had a lot of just amazing teammates throughout really my entire career, man. I've been blessed to have, you know, people that have helped me so much along the way. And, um, and I just think, yeah, it's just a really fun part of being at the races. And, and I think, uh, that's, what's cool about downhill. You know, you're not racing like elbow to elbow coming into the first turn together. It's uh, an individual sport. So at the end of the day, I've always viewed it as like, well, if they can beat me straight up, then then good. I got to get better, you know. And um, so having my own team now and and maturing and getting older too, like, it's just, um, it definitely helps me riding with guys like Dakota because we're very similar in a lot of ways. Like, we see the track different than most people. We have different lines than most guys. And so the two of us together, when we're working together, like, we can pretty much come up with all the best lines that we know, like. Hey, if we're, you know, on pace here, there with each other, we're going to be on pace. So, um, I really, really enjoyed that through the second half of last year when we started kind of clicking and, and really like practice is just way more fun when you can ride with your teammates as well. And I feel like you learn and bounce ideas and try lines and all that. So it's been good. And I told Dakota, you know, I think it took him a few races to trust me on it and like get to know me enough where he's like, okay, he's not kidding. But I had told him like, Hey man, I'm, I have you on this program. And I know that we're going to be competing for a lot of the same positions on the podium. But if anybody's going to beat me, I genuinely hope it's you. Like, I I want to do everything I can. I have no secrets. Whatever you need, I'll give you. If you want to ask me about anything, I'll be completely transparent with you. Like, I just am here to try to help you succeed. Um, So I think as we kind of matured into that friendship last year through the second half of the season once we kind of got to know each other and he kind of got to trust me with things um it was just a really fun relationship and it was something that I was very excited for this year and um got to still do a lot of it being on the side of the track helping with lines and being in the pits and chatting and hanging and stuff but it was a definitely a bummer not to get to ride with my guys on track this year but that's just the way it went (laughs) for sure man yeah so yeah three
1: podiums in the back half of the 2022 season all the six bar stuff sorted over the winter and a bike that you were clearly pretty happy with coming into the year I guess you felt pretty good coming into 2023 until Lenzerhyde right which took a a few people out and a few of those for the whole season and unfortunately one of those was you eh
0: yeah yeah it was a bummer man it was um it's part of the sport unfortunately but yeah weird crash like uh, came into switzerland feeling the best i have really ever like had a pretty conservative off season as far as like i did a bunch of pre races and was just riding like felt like very like in my in my limits just trying to build through the season is what i wanted to do get through all the races again and just and stay healthy um, being here at wind rock and doing the laps I did, I felt like my fitness and my hand strength and everything was the best it's ever been. Um, I felt like we were, we were ready to rip and I thought, you know, it would be like last year. I would just get stronger every race and, you know, really build and, and, and hopefully make a run at that title. Like I said. Um, but yeah, I think it was like third practice run. We got a, a weird little rain that that track was real hard pack and kind of dry and it, it rained a little bit, which made it kind of greasy on top. And, um, and it was just kind of a sketchy track to begin with. And I was really taking my time and practice the first few runs, like stopping a lot, looking at stuff, like not trying to ride all the gnarly lines straight away, just like be conservative and just take my time as I usually do. Um, and like third run, I was like, just starting to get up to speed a little bit. And there's just a, a weird section of track that that basically you have to squeeze between like this big rock and a tree. And there's literally like this much room to do it. And both pedals are like right on the tree and the rock. And you got to wiggle through it. And I just came in kind of cruising. And uh, I think my back wheel just barely skipped off of a rock in there. And when it skipped just that little bit, it tagged the rock next to it because you were just so close. The frame touched it. And then I kind of swapped and anywhere else on the track, I just would have like taken a foot out and skidded to a stop and kind of probably got a little wild, but I don't think I would have even come off the bike. But because I did it there, there was like a big, like five foot drop, like right after it. So I couldn't, like when I got sideways, I couldn't kind of skid it back under control. Like I was just going to basically high side myself off the rock. So I just tried to like eject off the rock and there's these big boulders that had rolled out of the track that were just sitting right on the side of the track. And I was like, well, you know, I was lucky I didn't break my leg because I landed right on one of them with my leg. And it was, it was really sore. I watched the video back and I was like, dude, <laughs> folded my leg over that rock and it kind of just body slammed me into the ground really hard. So it was, uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, that was two years basically of hard work, consistency, training, testing bike stuff all that and then you're just like out for the year just like that just rolling down the track so it's uh yeah tough to swallow for sure but I mean I've uh, been racing to you know (laughs) two-wheeled bikes or (laughs) motorcycles since I was four years old and I've had some really good years and I've had some really tough years and I think you just learn over time like all you can control is your your effort and what you put into it and I didn't feel like I made big mistake or really a mistake at all there you know i think it through like what can i learn from it and i'm like well i think this is just one of those kind of incidents that happens when you're playing with really small margins on a track going fast and um part of the deal so yeah bummer but what can you do (laughs) how long does it take you to get from like
1: the initial frustration to that much more reasoned like position in your head like do you, can you get there quite quickly or does that take time and like personal kind of healing
0: yeah i think um it depends on the year and kind of where you're at um the last four or five years have been been tough man like it's been so many injuries and and a lot of them have been weird like i've i've had some injuries where like a part on the bike will break causing the injury or um a couple of years ago, when I got taken out for most of the season, I I came up over a blind rise first practice run, and there's a big loose rock in the track, and I hit it and had a huge crash, and just stuff that I'm like, man, like I like if I make a big mistake and crash, then I'm like, okay, dummy, like figure it out. But when it's like this kind of stuff happens, it's like I don't, I couldn't do anything different. I don't know what I would have done. It's just part of the deal, and and. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of seasons where things really went my way. And I think a lot of racers will say that it's like, sometimes it's like, you can do no wrong. You know, I back on track, I remember like a few times having huge crashes in practice right before finals, like big cartwheel crashes, like the one in Fort William, where I'm just like tumbling my way down the track and parts are flying and like (laughs) big big yard sales and, uh, and you're sore and you get back up and you're like, ah, man, like I'm kind of limping around a little bit, but I'm, I'm good, and you go and win the race a few hours later, and then you have times where it's like you tip over in the parking lot and dislocate a thumb, and it's like, how? What is happening? (laughs) So it's uh, that's just part of the deal, man. It's um, yeah, it's but it's tough mentally, you know. I think I always just come back to, you know, that like all you can control is the effort you put in, and not the outcome. Uh, Just because you work hard doesn't mean you know doesn't guarantee success, but it definitely increases the odds of it eventually. Um, and I come back to my faith too, you know, it's just, if I'm giving it my best ever, I believe God's going to work it out for my good. And, um, and that's always been true, maybe not in the race results, but, um, every time I've gotten hurt, uh, it's given me more time at home, whether it's with my wife or family or, or myself, you know, in years past to figure other things out and to mature in other ways or. You know, like the Windrock thing, like it probably wouldn't be happening right now if I wouldn't have got hurt because I wouldn't have taken that project on in the middle of the season. But uh, Lauren always laughs at me (laughs) because I get hurt, I get surgery, and then about two weeks later, once all that's over, I'm like looking for something to do. And uh, so I just walked downstairs one morning and I was like, I think I'm going to buy Windrock. (laughs) And she's like, Oh, did you talk to Sean and figure it out? I'm like, No. But I think I have a good plan that I can make it happen. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, it always leads to good things, you know, maybe not on the results board, but in life, um, it does always seem to work out for the best. And so I just kind of, uh, yeah, just focus on the other things to do and just move forward. Yeah, that's good to hear, dude. And oh, yeah, definitely want to talk about Windrock. Yeah, tell us
1: a little bit about that. That was announced like last week. So, congratulations. That's awesome to hear. Uh, yeah, how did it come about? What makes you want to own a bike park? And like, what, what are you <laughs> going to do with it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Windrock's been. Um, it's been a while in the making. The first time I actually chatted with Sean about it, and we kind of threw the idea around a little. Sean's the guy that um, leader that owned Windrock before we just took it over. Um, I, we met with them about a year ago. Last fall was the first time we started chatting about it. And, um, I've always wanted to own my own bike park or like motocross track back when I raced motocross. My favorite thing since being a kid, literally four years old is building trails and jumps and you know, all that. That's what I used to get off of school, come home, dig trails and ride till dark and then go and do homework and go to bed. Like that was just literally every day from, three, four years old to when I moved out of the house when I was in high school or when I finished high school. And so, um, yeah, building trails has always been a huge passion of mine. And, um, you know, so when I raced motocross, I always thought like, man, if you had your own motocross track and it's like excite bike in real life, you can create your own courses and like make whatever you want and it could be so cool. And I've always had an eye for that. And then when I got into mountain biking, building downhill trails has been like my favorite thing to do with my buddies And so to own a bike park and be able to do that on a big scale and not be like trying to run from the forestry service and, you know, (laughs) all that stuff and you can get big machines out there and just go nuts. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always been something that I've wanted to do. And so when this opportunity was kind of there, Sean and I kind of kept chatting about it a little bit and we were able to kind of come to an agreement that made sense for both of us. Um, and same thing with the mountain because Sean doesn't actually own the land and I don't either. Um, it's owned by Windrock. Um, there's a huge OHV park here and they do, um, you know, energy stuff with oil and windmills and like all kinds of things go on on the property. It's thousands and thousands of acres. Um, so the bike park is, I think it's been on like 500 ish acres. Um, so it's leased from them to run the park. So I basically just, just bought the lease and took over the lease from Sean. So we negotiated some new terms with the owners of the land um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of how it all came together, but it's been, um, yeah, it's just been exciting. Like we got a lot of big plans out there the next, uh, few years, but for sure right now we're hammering. Like I've been out there for eight, 10 hours a day. I'm going to head out there again as soon as we get off this call and <laughs> we're trying to hustle on a <clears throat> new shuttle road at the bottom where the new bike shop is going to go in, uh, in the spring. Um, we're trying to get all this done in the next like 10 days before the weather, you know, gets too wet. We got a good window, so we're trying to get after it and then we'll move our focus onto the trails. But, um, yeah, overall plans for the park. Um, I think it's, what, what's the acreage on that bed? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the existing park, I think on like 542 acres. Um, and we are adding an additional 544 acres. Whoa. So we're basically doubling the size of the park, um, which will move, we'll move the shuttle drop off zone, um, a little further up the mountain. Cause right now it only drops off like halfway up the hill. So we'll move it a little further up so that all the existing trails will get longer in length and then it'll give us the enough vertical to access this whole other zone, which is actually, I think, the best riding on the hill. Um, there's a couple of enduro trails that kind of cross over through there currently, but but nothing much. So once we get the time to get over into that zone and start building, it's going to be really good. Um, we're moving the shuttle pickup to kind of the more centralized zone at the bottom, which will be cool because right now it's kind of crammed in on the side of the road and The bike shop is like running out of a shipping container. So we have a a whole building that we've built out um, or we're building out. We're trying to get it done by the national in spring. It's going to be a big push um, to get everything done by March. But um, yeah, there'll be a new bike shop, new designated parking lots for the bike shop and the whole bike area where we won't have to share it with the UTV crowd. And then um, lots of new trails, obviously. So
1: (laughs) sounds amazing. Big big plans. Yeah. And you get to play in massive diggers
0: like it's yep. a win, right? <laughs> yeah, we got three of them out there right now. We got uh, three big excavators and we got a big dozer showing up later today that we're going to do some road grading on. So, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> Dream come true for sure. <laughs> that's
1: amazing. Something that struck me about that was like there was a lot of talk, I think, in your early days in the sport that you weren't, necessarily like a massive fan of mountain bike and you were good at it. You were going to come in, you were going to win loads, and then you'd retire and we'd probably never see you again. And now you've been <laughs> in commentary, you've demonstrated like an insane like passion and knowledge for the sport. You're in a bike park. Has something changed or was the perception that everyone kind of was given in the early days of you in the sport wrong?
0: Yeah, I'd say the perception was definitely wrong. Um I didn't really love racing for a long time like that's definitely the truth um but I've always loved riding my bike I just I'm not a big social media post everything I do like I I most 99.9% of the rides and everything I do I never post or even take photos like I ride by myself a ton I ride with my friends my family everybody like spend big days in the hills like ask John he knows (laughs) building trails and doing all that stuff I just don't boast about any of it I just kind of like to live and be in the moment and uh so yeah I've always since I was four I've loved riding like it's been my favorite thing and I'll do it till I can not do it anymore um but I didn't love racing earlier in my career for sure it was more the business part that allowed me to ride and train for fun the rest of the year okay Um, I liked it I definitely loved winning I loved being competitive and I I loved all the work but going to the races and racing was definitely more stressful than it was fun even though I felt like I handled the pressure well and I've always been able to perform really well under pressure I wouldn't say that I woke up on race day like excited to race like there was an element of excitement but it was more like like all right let's let's get especially when you're expected to win and you know all that and you know you can win it's it was fun and being at the races was fun I've always had good teams and good teammates but the racing itself was always you know and I think a lot of racers if they're really honest would probably say that they say Mm -hmm. I love when the race is over if I do well but there's a lot of nerves coming into the races and and so I think I think that was probably part of what people saw you know there's a seriousness which wasn't I mean, it was serious because it was, you know, I wanted to do well and I've always been like ultra competitive and I came from a very competitive, you know, background with motocross and the trainers I worked with and stuff. And so when it's game time, like it's, it's time to go and I don't mess around. Um, it was also like I was fighting for a career at that time, you know, like I, I didn't go to college or do these other things and I decided to go all in on racing to try to make it happen. And I wanted to make the most of it. Um, and I was a young young kid still maturing you know a lot and I think you know going through what I went through leaving track and going to specialize um I was a bit bitter about that for a while like I I was I was disappointed in how people you know how that was handled a little bit from the other side and I was definitely bummed that a lot of the negativity kind of fell fell back on me yeah and um I've always been like I am now and the people that know me know that's always been true and so I was a little like I don't know. It was, it was hard to sort of take the criticism knowing that it wasn't true. And, um, I kind of just buried myself into my work and my training and was just like, all right, I'm just going to keep winning and just whatever it'll all come around in the end. And so, um, that was a small part, but I wouldn't say I didn't really carry a big chip on my shoulder or anything. I was just mostly I'd say if it comes down to anything, I've always been quiet. And as I've gotten older. And been around more people for the last 15 years. I've I've just naturally become more social. Like I like being around people, and I'm, you know, I think it just comes out in my personality. I've always been like that around my close friends. Mm-hmm. I've just, uh, you know, I'm I'm quiet, and my wife makes fun of me and <laughs> all my close friends because my my resting face looks angry even though I'm not I'll take photos and I'm like I felt like I was smiling and I look at photos of myself and I'm like dude you look like you're ready to like rip a head off or something I'm like take it easy so it's just kind of my uh my vibe I guess when I'm you know more serious so but I've always been you know similar so I think it was yeah it was a combination of a lot of those things I think just as I've gotten older um I don't know, my personality comes out more to the public instead of just with my tight group of friends. Yeah. Have you been able to find a way to enjoy racing more as you've got older and sort of
1: matured into it?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing when I see a big difference, I mean, racing is still stressful for sure. You know, race days because you're doing something gnarly, there's definitely some danger involved and you, you know, at the end of the day, like you really want to do well, you put in a lot of work and effort and a lot of companies put in a lot of work and effort for you and you want to, you want to do well like i'm very competitive like i said so i don't like to participate <laughs> i want to try to compete for wins um but as i've gotten older i think you see the ups and downs i've definitely matured as a man over the last 15 years from you know when i first turned pro um and i think you just become more chilled out you know like you just kind of you enjoy the racing you enjoy the people you're around That's a big part of starting my own team is like we have a group of guys that, you know, are all I would consider friends and people I hang out with or would hang out with away from the races if we live closer. Um, Having my wife Lauren on the road with me now has definitely made being away from home a lot more fun and a lot easier that was something early in my career that was, was, you know, less fun. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I mean, I just think it's a combination of all those things coming together that racing now, you know, when we were talking about Val de soul last year, um, I mean, that was a, that was an amazing memory, like the whole weekend, not just the race, like hanging out with the boys and the team at dinner and at the spa and cruising around, walking the track, whatever we do, like we just have a a good time at the races. And, and that was really cool. Like Dakota, I think was in a similar boat where he's, he's always put so much pressure on himself, that you know, self admittedly he has not really enjoyed his racing throughout his career either. It's been more of a, like, I need to perform type of thing. And, um, I was hoping because I've sort of matured through that to be able to help him do the same. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were at world champs in Le J last year riding up the ski lift together for our race run just chatting about, you know, race day and getting ready for our world champs race run. And he was like, dude, he's like, this is the first weekend of my career that I feel like I've truly like enjoyed a race weekend. No <laughs> he's like, way. thank you for that. This has been awesome. Like, I'm excited to race with you. And like, so that's been cool. And that's the vibe we have at the team now. Now, when we go to the races, it's like been a lot of fun. And, and I thought being at the races this year injured was going to be harder than it was. Um, but I truly enjoy just being with my team and helping them out and being able to, you know, provide value in other ways than I have in the past. And, um, so yeah, it's definitely changed as I've gotten older. I definitely enjoy being at the races a lot more than I used to. I've always had fun and always been around good people, but overall it's, uh, more fun than it is stressful now. I feel like <laughs> that's,
1: that's good to hear, man. That's a healthy way to be. Do you like you said early on, like you were trying to you were creating a career that was your career choice, and that, that adds pressure to the results you're in a position now, I guess where you don't need to prove yourself anymore like you've done so much in the sport does that does has that help take the pressure off to the, are the results like less significant to you, or how do you how do you look at that performance element
0: yeah, I'd say it's um <clears throat> equally important, but a little maybe different in my belief and mindset behind it you know before first years it was like I'm racing to try to basically make a living and if it doesn't work out in a few years I'm gonna need to like go back into the workforce and figure it out so it was like we're all in on this you know like didn't make a lot of money didn't have a lot of stuff It was just like you know rocky style <laughs> like get it get it done <laughs> Um, and as I've gotten older and kind of been more established, you know, financially and with family and teams and riders and all that, um, some of that pressure doesn't feel the same. Um, but it's more just, I want to do well cause I'm competitive and these brands hire me to, to do well. And like I said, I just, it's like naturally in me, like I can't say it any other way. Like I've just always been like that since a kid, like if you're going to keep score, I want to try to win, especially if I'm getting paid and expected to try to be the best. Like, I'm just like, dude, if we're gonna do this, I'm I'm all in, and I just you know, from all the setbacks the last few years to try to get back on top has been very motivating, just for myself, not for anybody else. Like, I just I I know where I believe I could you know where I think I could be, and um, that's just part of that athlete. I think anybody that's ever been very successful. Uh, anything or any sport like there's just a certain amount of drive there that is hard to teach it's just in you and you you just have it and you want to do it and so that that fire definitely still burns so it's uh yeah I think for now or now it's um you know there's a lot of other things surrounding it that make it more fun for me to to do but I still you know when I race I really want to win and if I don't have the performance I believe I'm capable of I'm still very upset (laughs) which makes you more
1: dangerous i think like are there there certain things that you particularly want to tick off are there uh, maybe a venue you've not won at or a newer track that you really want to take a win on or there's that world champs obviously that sort of hangs over you i guess like
0: are there certain things you want to go after yeah for sure um i think i'm i'm definitely satisfied with everything i've I've accomplished, you know, if I were to hang it up today, I, I wouldn't have any regrets. That's for sure. I definitely feel like I gave absolutely everything I had, but um, I would definitely like to win a world champs for sure. Um, I'd like to just win again, a world cup or a world champs, like to be the fastest dude in the world on a day would be, um, be amazing. That's really what I was working towards this year. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I I got a lot of other things going on and um, I got a lot of other goals as well and things i want to be really good at and so yeah we'll kind of see how it all plays out coming into next year definitely we'll continue racing uh, at least at some level and um we'll see we're in an interesting time right now and kind of sorting through it all as we speak but uh yeah we'll we'll still be at the races a bit for sure nice and how's the guitar playing going because that was something you were working on yeah, it's good. It's been hit or miss. Um, <laughs> I get so busy sometimes that it's it's hard to, you know, I kind of come in and out um, after this injury. It took me a while because of my right arm to be able to, like, play the guitar because I had no range of motion oh, yeah. or strength. Um, but once it started coming back, I've actually played quite a bit the last few months um, when we have some downtime. When we go to Montana, usually I, I have more time to play. Um, but yeah, still we live in Nashville now, so we watch a lot of live music and there's so many amazing musicians there. Um, I got a lap steel guitar the other day or a few months ago and I'd love to learn that thing. So we'll see, like right now life is so busy. I I might pick it up and dink around for five or 10 minutes in the evening, but I haven't had time to really sit and, and focus, but yeah, something I, I really love doing and, um, I like it because you can't get injured really and you can you can do it for a long time so I feel like there'll be plenty of time later in life to to focus on music if if I have the time <laughs> definitely man well before we um before we sign
1: off kind of keen just to get your thoughts on the 2023 season and all the changes that we've seen like you've I guess it quite uniquely, you've seen it from a rider's perspective, a team owner's perspective, you've seen it trackside, you've seen it from Warner Brothers Discovery, from the commentary. You've probably got one of the most rounded views out of anyone on the scene at the moment. Like, yeah, just give us some thoughts on, you know, the changes, the format, like how did you find it all?
0: Yeah, a lot to unpackage there. But yeah, I think overall, I think the new group, truly wants the sport to progress and be successful um so I think first and foremost that's a good thing it seems like it should be a given but I mean it it seems like they really want to push it forward which is good um I think we all knew there was going to be a bit of a learning year you know at least I did because I was kind of close to it and I was chatting with them and they were kind of of the mindset of like hey we're going to to try to push this forward, we're going to try some things and some things might work out well and some things might bomb, but we got (laughs) to give it a go and then be able to you know, reset. And I was of the mindset where I was like, okay, I get it, but let's really try to get as close as we can the first year (laughs) and not have to redo everything. But I'm not really, I have a very small say. I don't have any say in the process. I just, they, they listen to me sometimes as far as like, Hey, what's your opinion and I'll give it and but they don't you know have to listen or anything like that I just I try to offer input when I can and um since I'm kind of president of the writers association now um I just try to basically just reflect the overall wants and needs of the writers and so they're kind of secondary to my own even though I feel like we're all pretty aligned most of the time mm-hmm. Um so yeah I would just try to be proactive you know I, I I try to not be negative about things and and just like where can we help you know I feel like how do we make the relationship better with them how do we communicate better I feel like that's the only way where it's going to be a positive thing for us communicating whereas if everybody's complaining you know, they're going to be less inclined to listen at all. For sure. So I think, um, I think it was exactly that. I think some things went pretty well this year and I think some things really should be rethought and, and reconsidered. Um, I personally I'm not a huge fan of the semis and the whole new format and the qualifying and the protected riders and all, it's just all very confusing. <clears throat> but, um, if you're trying to get down to whatever it is, an hour and a half TV slot, for live tv (coughs) excuse me um you know you kind of are forced into that corner a little bit it's like how do you get there i think there's potentially some other um solutions that maybe would work a little better and be better for the riders as well and hopefully we have an opportunity to to chat about those things through the off season we're kind of um i've got all the thoughts of the riders and we've been doing surveys and and chatting and so as soon as um you know, these guys are kind of back from their little break, then I'll jump on a phone call with them and, and hopefully, you know, be able to have some good chats and, and talk through some things. Um, but yeah, I think overall, like, yeah, like I said, just try to be positive and helpful where I can be. It's not my thing. You know, I don't, I don't own it. Like I don't, and I don't certainly don't claim to understand everything that they have to manage and work through um with their big bosses and everything and how they want to run things so i just try to be as helpful as i can um <clears throat> and we'll see where it goes but i mean i think either way the sport i think was arguably more exciting this year than any other year like I, we had a different rate winner every single round except last one when jackson won a second one um the athletes are amazing the competition's getting tighter um a lot of things are heading in the right direction so um, yeah, I'm I'm super hopeful that it you know they'll they'll figure things out. They just took it over first year, and uh, there's a learning process and a learning curve there. And it seems like you know they're going to try to adjust and make some changes. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for good things, and hopefully I can uh, you know assist wherever they need if if it's an option.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear. You mentioned that run from Jackson at the end of the season, taking his second win of the year, it was a pretty insane race run um how does it feel like knowing that you've got to go after someone that's riding at that like le- that that level that he was at on that day just seemed pretty insane from a from yeah. a
0: novice perspective anyway yeah for sure it was impressive I mean he's got so much skill and and i've I've kind of been saying it for a few years watching him and and even Jordan come up where you know Jackson specifically though like he's the first kid of sort of I'd call it the motocross path where you know in motocross having a kid that starts racing at four years old and is like groomed to be this like child prodigy and you know like you think of james stewart travis pastrana ricky carmichael you know hayden deegan just did it jet lawrence these guys that basically as soon as they turn 16 or 17 they go pro and they're winning you know at the top straight away like they've already been doing it for 12 years you know i've been racing for 15 years And I'd say Jackson's been racing downhill about the same length (laughs) of time that I have. It's just I started at 20 and he probably started at four. So these kids have so much experience and skill matched with being young and, and, you know, having that energy and and all that as well that I was like, when he goes pro, it's going to be very interesting because he's the first kid that's been, you know, really riding and, and doing downhill since he was a kid. And so you see that I mean his natural talent and skill on a bike is insane, um, and I think you know as long as he can stay healthy, you know his maturity and all these other things will only get better. But um, yeah, I mean he seems to race with a very mature head already. He's one of the most consistent riders this year. Um, outside of I think that flat Nandora, he might have won the title. He seems to step up to challenges and perform well under pressure and instead of the opposite which you know some young kids really struggle with when they go pro um so yeah I would expect you know like I said if he stays healthy he might blow by all the records by the time he's (laughs) retired but I think from a personal level um I feel like I can see the speed and I I understand where it's at and I, I kind of I get it and I think um, even Dakota I think if he would add a different run and a few of the riders I think that gap would have been a lot closer than it was so definitely not to take anything away but the competitor in me is always analyzing like how would I beat it not like oh my gosh it was amazing it was like no I can beat it I'll figure out a way Um, I feel like I can can see it it's just you got to go get it it's hard to do it's a whole lot easier to talk about than to actually go do so good (laughs) on them for having such a good Good season, So I think it's exciting, man. It's it's such a cool sport in that way. You got guys like Greg who are into their 40s now and then guys like Jackson that are, you know, potentially both standing on the podium at the same time and everything in between. So, um, man, downhill. What a sport. I don't know a lot of other sports you could say that. Yeah, I am 100% with you on that, man. And that
1: feels like a really good place to wrap up. Thanks for your time. It's been a real pleasure catching up. I'm excited to see what happens in your many different uh, projects that you seem to have on the way these days and yeah, looking forward to seeing you back on a racing track in, in 2024. If people want to follow you, where's the best place for them to be looking? I know you said you're not a big socials guy, but
0: yeah, pretty much uh Instagram. I'm uh- I should definitely post more than I do, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only account that I ever really do much on. So yeah, Instagram and then, uh, for the wind rock stuff, just follow the, the wind rock Instagram page, the bike park. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how the future unfolds. We might have some other little projects that <laughs> pop up as we go. Um, but yeah, you'll know about it if it happens. <laughs> nice
1: one, thanks, man. It's been a real pleasure. I'll stick links to all that stuff in the show notes, so people can find it. But yeah, have a good off season, and we'll see you uh, trackside next year. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you, brother.
1: Alright, that's it for this episode with Aaron. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode. Downtime listeners get an extra special 20% off of their awesome convergence wheel sets and rims for the month of November by using the code Downtime November 2023 at the checkout over on We One Composites.com. That's Downtime with a capital D, November with a capital N, and the number 2023 with no spaces over at We One Composites.com. Don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, then the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I'm aware that times are tough for a lot of people right now, so if that doesn't work for you, then no worries. But if you are able to support, then it is much appreciated. We've also got t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride.